Hi, everybody. I'm Rogers Healy, the host of Rogers That, a podcast dedicated to selling without selling out. And today we have a very special guest, someone who has played an incredibly important role in my life for well over a decade. Someone so important that if it wasn't for him, I literally would not be married to Abby. We wouldn't have a child. And God knows where I would be. It's our friend and our pastor, one of the associate pastors at Highland Park United Methodist Church right here in Dallas on SMU's campus, the largest Methodist church in the entire country as far as the congregation is concerned, Matt Tuggle from Virginia, but now in Texas. Thanks for joining. Rogers, I'm glad to be here. Thanks for having me. You're welcome, Matt. And Matt, before we get started, I do want to thank you for wearing purple which is a perfect accent with the, um, the background color. So thank you for being cognizant of fashion as always. Yeah, I, I prepared well. Oh, yeah. man, I hit that. It's okay. It's okay. Matt and I are – I don't know what to do with my hands. I'm a so fidgeter. So I'm going to just pray. Um, I, I first met Matt, like I said, I don't know when it was. How long? 12, 13 years ago? I moved here. I actually started at the church 10 years ago tomorrow. So it would have been about 10 years ago. So I met Matt 12 years ago, as discussed. But no, uh, I, I've been able to, I've been a fan of Matt since since he first got here a decade ago. And my family, uh, we belong to this church and we were one of the first families to join what we considered to be rock and roll Jesus back in the day. It was kind of a uh, six flags over Jesus. It was a new, co- a new concept. And uh, Matt eventually became the head pastor of Cornerstone, which is a, um, you know, just a more laid back Sunday service. And over the course of my evolution of a man of faith, I um, really just thought it would be incredibly special to become friends with Matt. And then lo and behold, he literally married Abby and me, but we're going to get to this point of the story. And then I'm gonna let him kind of share background. One of my most incredible moments in my life was when Matt gave a sermon uh, a few years back about you don't have to go to go to church. You can be the church, and that sermon changed the trajectory of my life, my business, etc. And so today, we're going to go to church at my office. So, um, Matt, thanks for coming today. Give us some background, and we'll get started. Yeah, I'm grateful to be here, Rogers. I, pr- I appreciate it. Yeah. And one of the things that I'm grateful for, you've kind of mentioned it, that I've been a pastor in your life for a while. But one of the things I'm really grateful for is over the last couple of years that uh, we've become friends. Also, same. So I'd be able to sit here with you. I'm grateful. Yeah. You've had a lot of great people sit in this chair so far. Yeah. And I'm not so sure that I should be sitting here, but I'm grateful to have the opportunity to. Matt, thanks for coming today. You're, if you don't like the chair, you can leave. No, it's a very comfortable oh, chair. Oh, good. It's the, it was more of the metaphorical chair yeah. than the literal chair. I got you. Noted. Yep. Um, yep. But you no, know, I, uh, I moved down here in 2006 for seminary and interned at our church for a little bit. And then came back 10 years ago. And before that, I was in Georgia for a while, in Virginia for a while. And we can kind of get into how I started doing what I do whenever you want to. Um, but yeah, my adult life has been spent in ministry, working in local churches in Virginia, Georgia, and here. And yeah, I've been here for about 10 years at our church. But you, you're coming from these places, Virginia, Georgia, Texas, and these are densely populated places with... Yep. A lot of business influence, a lot of worldly um, maybe temptations as far as a career is concerned. But you know, to be su- such a successful person in the world of faith and the world of business of faith, you obviously had to take a different path at a pretty early age. And and just to put things in perspective, y'all that are watching and listening that don't live in Dallas, this church is the bullseye of Dallas, Texas. Um, Matt is every bit of a celebrity in our uh, in our city. But it took him a long time. It took him a long time to kind of get it out. To where he's at now and to grind it out but at what point did you get decide to make a dedicated decision to serve your life um, to jesus professionally yeah yeah that's a good question so i like the way you ask the question because most people when they're talking to pastors they say when did you feel called to ministry or something like that yeah for me i don't really like that question because the reality is is that 
my call to ministry has nothing to do with what I do professionally. Like, my call to ministry is that I feel led to dedicate my life to seeking to walk in the way of Jesus. And I could do some other things professionally and still be a disciple of Jesus. But at some point, I began to feel like the best way for me to kind of live out that discipleship was actually working in the local church also. So I was um, in my early 20s and trying to figure out what it meant to be a follower of Jesus and was volunteering in some churches. And slowly, I just more and more began to feel like, yeah, this is what I what I need to do. I need to... Um, you like felt called, right? Which I know that sounds yeah. cliche, but you know I, I hear this, and not to not to interrupt you, but to sidestep yeah. it and have two conversations going at once. I think it's a struggle for a lot of successful people that are believers. Is that it's still a hard thing for me to swallow that I own a real estate company and I'm trying right. to go and witness in my own way. But you literally felt a different kind of calling, so much so to where you just kind of made a pivot and said, "This is what I'm doing." Yeah. At an age where emotional intelligence is really not. A gift that you've got so obviously you you had that no the, the thing is i grew up in the church and i would have always called myself a christian and faith meant something to me but it certainly wasn't the center of my life it, it wasn't it wasn't impacting my life in any kind of a meaningful way and then the summer before my senior year of college a bunch of stuff happened and i really just i, I met god in a new way and not in a like a finger wagging like you got to start doing this and stop doing that kind of way but more i just began to desire different stuff in my life and for the first time i feel like i began to get a taste of what it looked like and what it felt like uh to walk in the way of jesus and it, it changed everything i mean it, it it like wrecked my life in the most beautiful way possible light bulb like i'm gonna be a pastor or no, just needed no. to correct some stuff that was... Yeah, actually, and it's important to me that I remember this, that my call to be a disciple of Jesus, like just to walk in the way of Jesus, is way more important than my decision to be a pastor. Like, when you're trying to get ordained, you have to have a pretty tight statement about why you were called to be a pastor. And I always struggled with that. Because my call is no different than your call, Rogers. Um, my call is to be a disciple of Jesus. And I then decided that working in the local church was a faithful way for me to live that out. Does that make sense? Yeah. Like, but, I, but I, I'm not going to challenge you on that, but I think, yeah. how do I know that I haven't gotten the same call? You know, uh -huh. like, the, like, and I think that a lot of people of faith, whatever your faith is, they, they, that's yeah. a, that's a struggle. And I think that, I think that's where I like struggle with being like, am I a sellout? Like I own a real estate company and I'm like, right. okay, this is a congregation, but it's not. Right. But it's not like I'm like, welcome to Rogers Healing Associates. Like, let me tell you about Jesus. Right. Yeah. I have to go and, and yield to the organic. Right. Which which makes it hard for a doer like me. Um, yeah. So, I mean, literally, what was that processing like? Knowing yep. that kind of the rest of your life was figured out mentally. Yeah. Kind of in that moment. Okay. So I become kind of a committed Christian that summer before my senior year of college. Super disorienting. Right. I mean, the summer before your senior year of college is the most inconvenient time possible for that to happen. Right. So go back. I'm just like a, a different guy, right? And I don't know what I'm going to do. So I end up double majoring in biology, which I was studying in religion. Um, because, yeah, because I, I really liked, I was at a liberal arts school, I had to take religion classes. I liked taking those classes. Um, but when I first started taking a lot of religion classes, I remember being up on the top floor of the dorm that I was in and 
a guy laughing and saying, what, are you going to be a pastor one day? I mean, the thought of me being a pastor was not just way outside of anything that I had dreamed of. None of my friends saw that in me, in me either. Well, th- what, so, what did you think you were going to do? Like be a scientist? Well, I don't know. I was working. I was spending That'll my summers. That'll show you summers. how smart I am. I'm like, obviously, if you major in biology, you're going you to be a, be a science, science, science teacher. What I don't you, know. I, I gonna... honestly, Rogers, I wish that I was one of those people early on that knew I had no idea what Dude, I was going to do. You actually were early on. You knew what you were going to do. It's a it's a pretty like in, in retrospect, I think you. Well, yeah, like 24, 25, 26, yeah. somewhere in there. I was working in the summer at a state park. I was a nature guide. It's the best job. Really? It was great. Like Wally World or like. Like a no, like a like a state park in Richmond. Really? Where my job was to take people on hikes and canoe trips and Oh cool. That's what I did on the weekends. And then during the week I researched like new hikes and stuff, which I mean I went hiking by myself. Wow. Yeah. That's so cool. I, I don't I don't know what I was gonna do. But then I'm trying to stumble around, figure out that last year of college what it looks like to like be a man of faith. You know, I had no idea. I had no idea what it looked like to be a man of faith. So I'm and trying Amy to figure didn't that out. enter the picture for a while. Uh, I met Amy right before my life changed, I but that. we were different planes, she, totally different planes. Yeah. Physically, she's in Texas, I'm in Virginia, and just emotionally, spiritually, different planets. There's no way she would have dated me right then. Um, it's amazing that she dated me when she started to, but don't jinx it. Yeah, I know. So, so we, um, so I'm, tr- I'm trying to figure it out. You know, what am I going to do with my life? And I work in special education for a while. And I started volunteering in churches. And just slowly, I began to realize, okay, a faithful way for me to live out my life as a disciple of Jesus is to work in the local church. I kind of like talking in front of people. Um, I've got some giftings in that. I really like visiting with people one-on-one. I seem to be pretty good at that. So I decided to go to seminary and just kind of explore it. And that's a four-year process, so I figure I've got a lot of time to figure it out. And just kind of over time, there was no moment, there was no like definitive moment where I knew what I need to do with my life is be a pastor. It wasn't that. But did you ever have a moment you're like, I wonder what it'd be like to go and be an attorney or to... Oh, sure. Really? Rogers, I still have moments like that. Yeah. Like, I wonder what it would be like if I was an, but, an attorney. But now. I mean, it obviously wasn't a strong enough pull where you're like, you know what, I'm going to pivot. I try... Like a lot of people, especially in their early 20s, yeah. they kind of try something and they pivot. Right. And I, I would always tell people by like 25, 26, mm-hmm. you kind of have to have your career figured out. Yeah. Where like 22 through 25 is kind of a job. And then yeah. the lucky few kind of can commit to something. But yeah. none of that. Just... No, I would say for me, it was two things. It was the more ministry work that I did, the more I, I loved it and wanted to do. And simultaneously, the more that I did, the more people pulled me into it and asked me to do. Mm. So then I get to a point where I'm 22, 23 years old, living in Richmond different story, but I have five jobs because I'm just trying to, and I made $26,000. Yeah. At once you had five. Yeah. 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 Long story. You don't get paid much with the stuff that I was running around in. So lots of little part-time stuff. So make $26,000 a year uh, for those first three years. Um, Trying to figure out what in the world I'm going to do. And the more ministry stuff I do, the more I'm asked to do, the more that I want to do to the point where I just realized if I'm going to do as much of this as I want to do, I got to get, I got to get paid to do it. I mean, I'm not gonna be able to support myself in a future family and do all of this ministry unless those two things are tied together. Yeah. So then I decide, well, I think that maybe this is what I need to do professionally, but I could have done something else professionally and still pursued ministry. What else interested you other than being a nature guide? Um, I think probably teaching. Yeah. Teaching probably, that that could have been a path that I could have gone down. I could have, I wasn't smart enough to get into law school. If I'd been smart enough, then I could have been a lawyer. But that wasn't smart enough. 
So do you remember a moment? Still not smart enough. I, I don't buy it. I, ladies and gentlemen, am not smart enough. And this will show you how not smart I am. A few years back, I got uh, sucked into a show called Suits. And I was 37. And it was a great show. And I was like, man, I'm going to go to law school. And I literally signed up for the LSAT and never did anything. How dumb. I think I, I actually, I think I signed up for the test, which I don't think you can do without going to law school. But I, this show is about this guy that's a rogue. He's not even a real attorney. And I was like, I can be that guy. Oh, so you saw the show Suits. Yeah. And you thought, I can do that. And that's how single I was. It's like, this is yeah. pre-Abby days where I was like, oh, I can I can go and be and an attorney. And when you were 37, and this wasn't when you were 22. No, no, no. You were already established I literally and had successful. The receipt. I was like, I'm going to take the LSAT. Like, obviously didn't. But didn't how, how dumb. Out. I was like, first of all, it's on a Saturday pass. And it was also like a 10-hour <laughs> test. So there's a there's my fun fact of the day. So... Back back to your path. Yeah. You, you didn't have a moment where all of a sudden you're just like, no. God is speaking to me. I'm going to go in and do no. this. But then what was the moment no. where you decided to commit to no. it and, and make a life no. decision to move? Yeah, no, that's great. But to, but to push it, to push it even further because it's super important. I did have that moment related to just living a life in the way of Jesus, right? Like recognizing that all of the other ways in which I was seeking to live um, didn't bring me the fulfillment that living... That, that life in the way of Jesus did. So that's the call. And again, I think it's important because that's the call that everybody can have, regardless of what you yeah. do. So, but at some point I got to decide, what am I going to do for a living? So yeah. I started looking at three seminaries, um, two on the East Coast, one down here. And there were a few things that I liked about Perkins, which is at SMU, where I ended up going. But the biggest thing that I like is that girl, Amy, who I had met on spring break a few years before, lived in Uptown. And I found out Uptown's I thought she's Pretty, living in Waco. No, no, no. She's no. from Waco. She grew up in Waco, but she was living here working at Scottish Rite Hospital. So I realized, oh, Perkins Power is move. real close, right? So uh, I realized that, and all of a sudden I start feeling pretty called to come to Texas. Did you talk to her? Yeah, she and I had stayed close friends. We always knew there could be something there. Oh, dude. We always knew there could be something there. But, again, I was still figuring out a lot. So when I decided to come down here, we started dating long, long distance. And then finally, she married you. Then I moved here in 06, and we got married in 07. Wow. So yeah. at the, the beginning of your career in, in, in the uh, faith world, what was like the first phase? What was the most fulfilling part of it for you? Like where the first phase was kind of about you and Jesus, you know, like going yeah. through school and kind of fighting through the mud and the muck and kind of to keep the theme of this consistent, knowing mm -hmm. that Dallas is a worldly city. Yeah. Right? Dallas and Atlanta, maybe more so than Richmond, Virginia, yeah. You got access to stuff here. And yeah. it's just a city that's fast paced and all of a sudden you're living in the park. You're living in Highland Park. Right. Beverly Hills without, you know, yeah. you know, without the traffic. Yeah. What was that like? And how, how were you rewarded along the way where you felt like your wisdom evolved probably quicker than people like me? Well, first I was working with teenagers initially, and that was a very rewarding. Um I was living there on SMU's campus, working with teenagers, most of whom lived in the park cities. And to be able to see them trust me to kind of speak wisdom into their lives was fulfilling. But the most important thing was beginning to see a handful of students have that same kind of realization that there is way more to this life than maybe I've realized or I've been told. Like I tell people all the time, I feel like a big part of my call is to introduce people to uh, the God that I never knew because I grew up in the church. Yeah. I mean, and nothing against the church or my family, but I got out of the church and into college and I almost walked away from the church and I almost walked away from Jesus without ever actually knowing what it meant to be a follower of Jesus.
So to be able to enter into people's lives, first teenagers and now adults, and be able to say, look, I, I know that you've heard this stuff your entire life, but there's more to this than maybe you realize. But did you have to evolve your training style? Like, I mean, like think of you're, you're, you're kind of fresh out of the gate yeah. and you're given access to go and mold these lives. Yeah. I mean, how, how did your style evolve, you know, over the course of six months or six years, yeah. et cetera? You know where I learned how to communicate huh. was at that state park. Oh, really? Oh. 100%. Yeah. Is I would lead for three summers, I would leave, lead every Friday uh, evening a hike to go look at the most interesting animal in Pocahontas State Park. What animal? What do you think? I mean, I, I was going to say bear. It's probably not no, a bear. No, it's not a bear. There were bears. Is it we a chupacabra? <laughs> no. Um, no. A unicorn? Oh, come on, man. A bear? A sloth? No, 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 no. no. Give me a family. The most in, uh, it's a rodent. It's the largest rodent in North America. A raccoon? No. A rat? No. Largest rat. It, it's a uh, semi-aquatic. Alligator? Uh, you need flat tail. Dude. Uh, oh, a platypus. The beaver. Same thing, right? No, they're pretty different. What's the beaver and a uh, beaver and a what's the thing that's kind of similar to a beaver? A uh, uh, nutria. What? Yeah, nutrias have the rat-looking tail. No, what is like beaver have the and tails. a what's a, a woodchuck? A woodchuck. Yeah. I don't know. I, don't I, like I literally, chuck. let's but edit I out learned, the fact that I said alligator. <laughs> but, but I learned a lot about uh, the beaver, right? But also so, people. But yes, because I would take this hike every every Friday. I'm going to be honest with you, Rogers. It wasn't that interesting of a hike. <laughs> you know what I mean? It wasn't very long. You didn't see much cool stuff. Ta-da. A beaver's cool, but it's not like amazing. So, But it's my job. It's yeah. my job to make this stuff interesting. So I have to kind of like fall in love with that little hike. Like if I could go back and hike anywhere this afternoon, I'd go on that little hike that I've only been on once in the last 10 years in Richmond, Virginia. I fell in love with that little hike. Mm. And then every Friday night, I had the opportunity to do a little bit better at communicating, you know, why other people should love this. Mm. So I sharpened it every week. So that's how, that's how I learned how to communicate. Uh, I'm going to, this, that. this reminds me, there was, I, I did CrossFit for a long time and a few years back, I had some buddies of mine that do CrossFit come and share their story. And at the end of it, they're like questions. Like I have a question. I was like, how do you get excited about somebody like me walking in after you've done this for 10 years and you teach me how to do an air squat and like that they go, well, it's the first air squat for you. And I was like, Pow! right. It's yeah. crazy. And I think that like yeah. the nature trail, seeing a woodchuck, it's like, oh my gosh, two approaches. Let's do this. Or I'm going to be able to go and uh, kind of be a front row, have a front row seat to you seeing the woodchuck yeah. for the first time. Right. So that's, but, um, but back to the leadership style. There were no, there were no woodchucks. What did I call it? Woodchuck? You called it a woodchuck. What is it? What is it a beaver? It's a beaver. Is there such thing as a woodchuck? I think this is a woodchuck. Were there, there, are there woodchucks? Were there dinosaurs there? I mean, a long time, a long, a long time ago. Okay. Yeah. A long time ago. Okay. Noted. We didn't, yeah, we didn't see it. And again, this is from the guy that signed up for the LSAT without having five seconds. Again, when you're 37, 38 and single, you just take these deep what dives. What you do is you sign up for the LSAT. Or just get dogs. I just kept getting dogs. That thankfully, yeah. Abby is a fan of the dogs. Now we have a child dog. I know you do. Yeah. Um, okay, so back to the leadership yep. style and, yep. and evolving. And, and again, <clears throat> yep. trusting your gut, right? And I think that in, in, in our worlds of, of leadership, you got a lot of pressure on you the second you kind of wake up in the morning. And unfortunately, there's people in my position that would rather see me fail than succeed. Yeah. And yeah. so how did you commit to your style of leadership and... You know, and being a pat with pastoring, what's the word I'm looking for? Like yeah. wit- witnessing for a living. How did you go and commit to that? And how did you make shifts along the way to stay consistent with what you know you feel is best? Well, I mean, I would say it's it's 
I feel like I'm constantly changing. I mean, I'm learning stuff this week. Yeah. I know that sounds so cliche. And I try not to say it to sound cliche, and I try not to sound like a pastor. There's like two things in my life that I, I really try to do. But, but the reality is, is that it's all stuff that I'm, that I'm still learning. But I had a buddy of mine say this to me really early on that helped me out a ton. Is he was a little bit older than me, kind of a mentor. And I just asked him one day, I said, Joe, I said, hey, what's your five-year plan? Like, where do you want to be in five years? Expecting him to lay that out for me. And he said, Matt, he said, I have no idea where I need to be in five years. And if God were to come down and tell me, I'm pretty sure I'd find a way to screw it up. And I think there's a lot of truth to that. I mean, if you had told me 15 years ago that I would be where I am now, when I'm, just, when I'm an intern at Highland Park Methodist Church at the time, I would have immediately started working to make that happen. Mm. And I definitely would have messed it up along the way. So for me, it's a lot of that. It's a lot of trying to do my best to live in the moment. And for me as a man of faith, trusting that, that God is not far off. This was a big, big eye-opener for me when I really began to understand what we believe. That God is not far off, but that God is right here. That God's around us. Like, where is God? God is in the space between the two of us. So like, you, didn't, you didn't struggle with patience or oh, you kind of lived in the moment. You never had to have yeah. a stop and smell the roses moment. No, no, no. I mean, I definitely still struggle with patience. What I'm saying is that, that trying to develop the discipline to do this, right? To, to do a, a good job where I am, to trust that God is in this moment, and then to also trust that he's going to be in the next one. Like there's this, there's this incredible um, poem that a guy named John Henry Newman wrote called Lead Kindly Light. And it starts out by saying, uh, lead kindly light amidst the encircling gloom lead me on lead my feet i dare not ask to see the distant scene one step's enough for me and i just i love that so much mm. because i left my own devices and when i'm not taking care of myself i spiral because i am so concerned with the distant scene i'm so anxious about what might or might not happen and so concerned with how do i make sure that I get to where I, where I want to be. Mm. And I would say in my healthiest moments, I am far more concerned with just allowing myself to discern what the next, what the next step is. Mm. Well, I, I, that's a good lead in to a, a, a heavy question, not a heavy question, but a yeah. big question. You talk about the anxiousness and the unknown and walking by faith, not by sight, taking one step at a time, however you want to digest this. COVID, yeah, right? Uh, yeah. Almost three years ago now, which is nuts. I it had lunch nice. with a buddy today who, uh, he was the first person to tell me about it. We, we looked back, it was January 20th of 2020. Okay. He's like, there's this thing coming. I'm like, yeah, right, whatever. And then right. all of a sudden, boom, overnight, everything yep. uh, changes. So COVID happens, ironically, after you gave the sermon about being the church, not going to church. Yeah. Um, yeah. And everybody is just kind of flipped upside down. So yeah. Being in the war room, being the head pastor of Cornerstone and having yeah. responsibility like none of us will ever really feel, what was that moment when you realized you had to rise to the occasion yeah. and how did your leadership skills you know, continue to stay consistent with what you, what you sought out to yeah, do? Yeah, that's a great question. First, we spent a lot of time those first two or three weeks, especially the first couple of days, really laboring over decisions that ended up being made for us. Like we, we spent a long time the Wednesday before the world, like as the world is shutting down that week, talking about whether or not we March were going to Is that what it was? Yeah. Laboring over whether or not we were going to let our teenagers go on their mission trip to San Antonio. 
You know, we spend 45 minutes talking about that. Yeah. Well, three days later, there's no, there's no option. Which again is kind of back March twenty first. I said March eleventh. Sorry. I think March. I think it was no March eleventh. Yeah. yeah, I think you're right. Because Abby and I got engaged March twenty first, ten days after the world oh, you did? shut down. Yeah. Oh, I didn't remember that it was that close to yeah. it. Um, and you know, I. It kind of goes back to the same thing. We we have no idea what's coming, right? I actually I, I saw I was going through our app today with with one of our team members, and I saw that in the beginning of twenty twenty we preached a sermon series called the twenties. And it was all about us, like, casting vision about what this decade could look like. The Roaring Twenties, wasn't it? I uh, may have been called that. Yeah. And, you know, and here we are. We have no idea that we're two months out from this decade taking a hard turn that we would have never, Mm-mm. never anticipated. I'm not a fatalist. I'm not saying, like, we shouldn't plan for anything. But I'm saying that in my most healthy and faithful moments, I, I'm way less concerned about the future and way more concerned about what's happening, happening right now. So all of that happens, right? And um, we quickly decide that rather than Paul and I, he's our senior pastor, he and I both preaching a sermon that we're just going to put online. We just need one person to preach a sermon. So Paul's going to be preaching for the next couple weeks, which means for the first time in my adult life, I got several weeks ahead of me where I'm not preparing a message. Like, what am, what am I going to do with my time? So here's what I decided to do. And we're talking with Amy about it. I was sitting in our little rocker, rocking one of our kids. And I decided, you know, I'm just going to, I'm just going to film a little Bible study um, on my phone in our front yard and put it out there. So I did that for a week. And then here we are two and a half years or whatever it is later, and we're still doing it. Uh. And at this point, we brought other people in. It's not, it's not just me. Because In large part, because you didn't think it was going to last. No. It's like the people that did the kitchen concerts, the musicians. Like, we're going to do this every day of the pandemic. And they're like, right. day 200. That's exactly right. I hate right. singing now. We would, I would have never started this. Yeah. You know what I mean? Would never start, but it, it started just just in my kitchen before the kids would get up with a camera on my phone stacked up on a pile of books. I didn't even have a tripod. Like y'all got fancy tripods. I got one of the tripods now, yeah. and that's how I'm just stacking it on a pile of books, opening up Matthew and talking about Matthew five through seven that first week. But, and you and realized, then, or you didn't, how powerful that was to bring people together, make them feel safe through a device. But yeah, yeah, what people needed at that time, like they always do, but was a sense of comfort. Right. Knowing it was going to be okay, even though you probably, you didn't know what was going to happen tomorrow. But, no, um, that's exactly you, right. You, your responsibility kind of kicked into overdrive. And in turn, yep. the butterfly effect of that for people like me that are anxious by trade, it's like, it's going to be okay. Yep. Starting your day with Matt, you're going to meet his kids and yep. yeah, he's going to have his hat. Are, yeah, but I'm saying, come in a lot. but it made it yeah. real and it brought a different dimension of your brand and, and the church to kind of everybody. The best stuff that we have done over the last two and a half years has not come out of any kind of strategy sessions. Yeah. You know, before the pandemic, we're going down uh, to a church member's house on Lake Austin once a year, doing a lot of strategy work and all that stuff. And all of that stuff was great. But over the last two and a half years, none of our best ideas have come out of that. They have come out of, okay, in this moment, living in reality of what is happening yeah. and kind of getting a sense of what do people need? What direction are people going in? Where do we feel like, like God maybe is ahead of us here? And just kind of, we talk a lot right now about leading from behind. It sounds cliche, but it's totally true. I am just trying to get in the tailwind of the spirit. Like, where is the spirit going? Can I get in that tailwind and just tag along? So I know people are stuck at home. I know that people need something to ground them first thing in the morning. So 
I'm going to get up. I'm going to get outside at 6.15, record this deal, and then it turns into something else. Wow. How long did it go for when you are like, okay, I, this, is, this is a lot of time in the morning. How, how many weeks did you go for? I think I started bringing other people in. It was with Matthew. When we went through Matthew. I mean, you, read it, over it, you read it backwards and forwards, and yeah, yeah. It was, it was, no, I did it over a year, every day, Monday through Friday. I think maybe I took a week or two off for vacation, hmm. but yeah, every morning. Okay, uh, I want to I want to pivot to a question that I think a lot of us I've always wanted to know uh, in, in the world of advice and yeah. guidance. Um, you know, there's two different types of people. I think people that give advice based off their experience, and people that just kind of wing it. Right. Um, with you, obviously having experience and being in front of the multitude of people. What what's kind of your approach when someone asks you for real life advice, whether it's on their you know their death their de- their deathbed or right. they're making a pivot? It's you at twenty two years old coming out of college or going into senior year. Yeah. Well, what's your approach for kind of the processing of of giving people real guidance? That's a great question. I, one one of the the rules that I just live by in my life is recognizing that I can only do what I can do, and some people expect me to be able to do things that I can't do. So I'll sit down with people, and sometimes people will expect me to be able to do for them what really a counselor can do. And I recognize I'm I'm not a counselor. I'm a pastor. So I'll I'll have to kind of tell them, you know, that. Some people, I I sit down with them, and what they want me to do for them is what really they need, like, a a close friend to do, right? So one of the things that I just try to live by is recognizing I can only do what I can do. And what I can do in most people's lives is be a pastor for them, which means not only can I pray for them, but I can can seek to speak wisdom into their lives rooted in, in the Scripture and who I, who I know God to be. And a lot of pastors get themselves in trouble where they feel like it's our job to, to rescue folks from whatever situation that they're in. And the reality is, is that I can only do what I can do. And that's advice that I share with people a lot of times. A lot of, I mean— we have so many good people in our church yeah. who, when their friends are going through something really, really difficult, they they want to be able to pull their friends up out of whatever situation that is. And I'll have to sit down with them and say, look, let's just live in reality for a moment. You you cannot heal your friend's uh, daughter, right? You, 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 can't, you can't do that. And I know that you want to, and you've got all this anxious and nervous energy. You want to be the one to pull this family out of the ditch. You can't. Mm. But what can you do? And then once you figure out what you can do, then you ju- you just do that, yeah. and you trust that somebody else is going to do something else. This is this is how we get marriage all wrong. I think is that we expect our spouse to do everything for us. We expect our spouse to to be our therapist, to be our best friend, to be our to be our lover, to be our counselor, to, to be a- everything. And the reality is, is that if we put all that weight on one person, that one person is going to crumble. Yeah. And if they don't crumble, they are going to let us down. But this is all Hollywood nonsense. This is what they, they lead you to believe. John Cusack that was wrong? He might have been. What? What about Billy Zabka? You know, also who's, known who's that? Johnny Lawrence from a really famous oh. television show called Cobra Kai. Yes. We'll, yes. We'll I didn't know that. Yeah, we haven't talked about Cobra Kai. Well, that's the, I mean, I mean, not just even with it like being recorded, like in our own personal lives. We have we've texted, Kai. but we have. This is the day. But not that we recently. Act, no, but you didn't see the. Uh, yeah, well, 
Stay tuned. We'll get we'll get there. But yeah, but but it's all of that nonsense. And I think there are a lot of marriages that could have worked that have failed, and there are a lot of dating relationships that could have turned into great marriages that have never taken that step because we are believing the lie that one person can be everything to us. Mm. So that comes back to the pastor thing. When somebody's in my office or we're at breakfast at Kubi's, I have to remind myself I can't be to them anything except what I can be. So I'm just going to be the best pastor that I can possibly be. What's the biggest problem in the world right now? Um, G.K. Chesterton answered that one time. Um, I like how you look at me like I know who G.K. Chesterton is. He he's this this um, smart guy. Smart guy, and he was he was kind of a public uh, intellectual thinker, Christian, and uh, a paper in I think it was London asked a handful of kind of famous folks that question. I think it was in World War II. And you know what he responded with? Mm. He responded with one word. He said... Entitlement? He said, me. Oh, dang. Uh, I'm the problem. And um, what's the biggest problem in the world right now? I don't know, but I think that I'm pretty aware that, that a lot of it has to do with, with me before I can point to the problems every, everywhere else. It's... It's my own selfishness. It's my uh, my insistence on my own way. All right. Well, f- question one point A. Yeah. Well, what's your biggest struggle? Like, what's yeah. what's as a pastor, uh, as a man of faith, what what's the biggest struggle you face where you just want to shake it out of the world and and it'll make your life a, a little bit more smooth? Yeah. The biggest struggle. I'll answer that in two ways. The biggest struggle that I face um, personally is. The biggest lie that, that that I am tempted to believe is that people don't appreciate me, and like Amy had COVID, she's pretty sick, um, and this 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 is the trajectory of my life over five days. So we have a house fire, okay? Which you you brought us food the day afterwards. Thank you for that. We have a house fire. Uh, seven days later, ten days later, Amy gets COVID, and then right after she gets out of quarantine, uh, the snowstorm hits. Ooh. So we're we're in the a rental house in the pits. Yeah. Right. Right. In the middle of that, when Amy's sick, I take care of her and I, I do a pretty good job for two or three days. And then this is what happens somewhere in the back of my mind. I begin to think this, I begin to think, um, you know, I think she's milking this a little bit. And to be honest with you, I think she probably was at this point milking it a little bit. Okay. But I start to think, I think she's milking this a little bit. She's feeling better than she's acting like, um, you know, and I start to think she doesn't really appreciate what, uh, what I'm doing for her. So I begin to think that in my head. Okay. And I don't shut it down. And because I don't shut it down and the way you shut it down is expressing it to someone else and me calling you and saying, Hey, I'm dealing with this and what's talking through it. Okay. I don't deal with that. So then it goes from my head. Where does it go next? It goes, it goes into to my emotions, right? I begin to feel that way. So then when I walk into the room, I, I begin to feel like she doesn't appreciate me. This is one of the biggest lies I can believe is that Amy, my kids, you, the congregants, anybody. Once I say you, I just mean friends. Don't appreciate me, right? So I begin to feel it. Mm. And then what does Jesus say? Where do our words come from? Our, our words heart. come from the uh, outflow of our hearts, right? So then eventually it comes out. And I'm with some friends one day, and I'm, I'm beginning to tell this, this story. And Amy said, yeah, I knew that you were feeling that way because eventually I heard you say it. Because eventually, kind of in jest, you know, I talk about how she's kind of milking it and... 
She doesn't appreciate me. But it doesn't start there. It doesn't start with me saying that. It starts with me fostering the lie in my mind, mm. beginning to feel it, and then it comes out of my mouth. So that's the number one of the number one things that I know that I struggle with is this lie that people don't appreciate me. Mm. Or maybe this, the lie that some people really truly don't appreciate me and the lie that I should somehow be miffed by that. Yeah. Who cares? It's fine if they don't appreciate me. Yeah. But I should like be scandalized by this. The biggest thing I think we're dealing with as a society is our inability to talk about stuff. And that's not novel. Lots of people feel that way. But our, our inability to actually sit down. Have a real conversation. Have a real conversation. Yeah. Disagree, disagree about things. Yeah. And be okay with that. I always wonder, a lot of these people, like I was never cool. Never, it wasn't a cool crowd. Yeah, me either. Crowd. We should have gone to the same high school. We could have been, or we could be each other's only We could friends. still be in high school. Right. Be like, high school is great. I don't want to awesome. ever graduate. Right. Beers are cool. Yeah. Uh, but I always wonder, like looking back in retrospect, like I always, I have to have great conversation every single day. But the people that were like in the real cool crowd, I'm like, what did they talk about? Mm. What do they What do they talk about now? But mm-hmm. like back in the day, what do you, we great? You can throw a football, but like what else? And you know, looking back, it's like they're still kind of stuck in that mm-hmm. level of never growing emotionally. Yeah. Which I'm not saying I'm I'm any better at it, but uh, I can appreciate that. Best advice you've ever received? I had a buddy one time. I was really nervous about preaching. I don't remember why I was particularly nervous this Sunday, but I'm texting with him, and. He just texted me back, and all he said was, he said, uh, Matt, he said, have fun. And that's some of the best advice that I've ever received. If I'm texting with somebody or talking with somebody, and they got something big coming up, and they're nervous about it, particularly if it's preaching, that's, you know, a lot of times I'm talking to people, but it could be other things, I will remind them, just have, just have fun. So is that I your mean, best advice to give somebody? Um, maybe. Maybe. Have fun. Yeah, I mean, look, when you're showing houses, if you're not having a good time, it's not going to go well. That's why I, I wore mean, shorts. Is that's that why. It's 183 degrees in Dallas. Yes, and it is. you get out on the concrete, and you're just like, this isn't fun. And it just sets the tone, your head, your heart. And then I'm like, I hate my job. Whoa, I don't hate my job, right? Yeah. So, yeah. It's, uh, C.S. Lewis said one time, he said, I think maybe our greatest sin is that we ignore the, 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 the Bible's um, commandment that we be joy-filled. And I think there's, there is a lot to be joy-filled about. And that doesn't mean like slapstick, having fun all the time. It doesn't mean that. But, but you can, like, a little bit. Yeah, yeah. And like when, when, I, when we're doing this or when I'm getting up to preach or when you're showing a house or we're hanging out, uh, these couples or whatever, like I want to go in with an attitude of expecting to have fun, Yeah. expecting to enjoy this. It's some of the best advice I've ever received. And, and so much, it, it is easier. It's, maybe it's not easier said than done. I don't know. I struggle with that and I take life too serious and I think yeah. that I have a really hard time. I'm, my biggest struggle in life is being present, mm. period, end of story. And I, I suck at it, whether it's staying connected through devices or my mind wandering. Um, I, I think that's something that I could always always work on. Um, how about balance? What, what do yeah. you do to maintain balance in your life? Yeah, I have to have rhythm in Same. my life. I, I have to have certain kind of touch points. I, I talked recently in a sermon about the idea of a trellis. You know, a trellis is what a vine grows up and the word trellis is related to the Latin word for rule. So what is a rule? We think of rules as like, Following. don't do this. Yeah. Right. But actually what a rule is, is it is, it's a structure on which to build your life. So I have to have some rules in my life. So one of the rules I try to follow, I got out of a book called the common rule, which is really good is a simple rule of scripture before phone. So I try to spend a little bit of time in the scripture before I spend any time on my phone. Mm. And like any rule, I don't follow it every day, but 
more days than not, that is true for me. Mm. And when, for whatever reason, it's not, I don't beat myself up about it. But I want it to be more common than not that that is just a rhythm that I have in my life. I have to have quiet space. I have to have silence. If I don't have that, I end up kind of uh, flailing. So I would say that's the way that I have to maintain balance is that for me, I am a, a, a person who has to have kind of blocks in my schedule. And I've got to have that time in the morning that is dedicated to just being quiet, reading scripture and praying. And that, that helps me a lot. And Your exercise now too. Rogers, it, I, um, Rogers knows that I'm trying to get in shape. I'm doing better. You look great. I'm doing better. Yeah. I'm not doing great. Well, you look great. But I'm doing better. You look great. I did. I, I drank half of my daughter's milkshake last night. I didn't really even want it. I didn't really even want it. But what a great dad. You yeah. know, don't waste well, any food. Let me have that. Right. Yeah. No, right. I know you can do it. I didn't even, it wasn't even good. It was a Sonic milkshake. It wasn't even very good. Oh, that sounds amazing. And I did it. We can't have dairy in our house right now for, because of our baby. And so just oh. a, lot of, a lot of ice. A lot of yeah, ice. I just had an ice frozen shake. Frozen grapes. Mm, frozen grapes. Frapes. Frapes. If you will. Um, so as we wrap this up, a question that I know you've always wanted to be asked, mm. um, emotional one. Who would play you in a movie? Oh. Well, you had a brief career in acting. Well. Do, are you out? Do I get to choose you? I could play you. I'm a foot taller. And um, so you I, are quite a I'd bit taller to, than me. Um, I'm joking. But Who, who's, who's the guy in the notebook? What's that guy's name? Oh, um, it's, um, don't tell me, James Garner. That's not, no, no. That's the old guy in the movie. Oh, you thought I was going to say Ryan uh, Gosling. Ryan Gosling. That, I think I'd like, I think I'd like old Ryan Gosling. Hear me out. James Garner actually. Who is that? The old man that had dementia. He was Ryan Gosling later. Oh, full disclosure, I've never seen the movie. Are you serious? It's a Nicholas, I, it's a fan, it, Notebook is a you, top five movie for me. No way. 100%. I've seen that movie 50 times. No joke. Nicholas Sparks, great author, have not I've read seen your so books. other stuff. A Walk to Remember, also Mandy Moore film. I've seen that one either. Shane West, great film. Nick, the Notebook is a fan. Okay, so James Garner would play you, oh, or Ryan Gosling from Remember the yeah. Titans. Yeah, yeah. Which was filmed in Virginia about yes. a school in Virginia. My son watched that the other day. Okay, what's your theme song? Oh, you don't know about like legit theme song is? Yes. I'm not even kidding. Is Peter Bradley Adams' song? Um, oh, what's the name of it? His really famous one. Um, when my blood runs warm with the old red wine, I miss the life that I left behind. Um, but when I hear the song of the black crows cry, I know I left in the nick of time. Wow. Oh, I can't remember the name of it. It's okay. It is like my song. I like that. So you, yeah. own, you're, you own a song. And then, I wish. I don't know Peter Bradley. I, 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 did, I tweeted him one time, though. Really? And he liked it pretty good well so peter you actually know famous people every no. now and then i get a thumbs up from one of them let's wait and, I'll let, take it. and they block me so peter if i if i was to tweet you please don't block me you're doing this music podcast yeah you should get peter bradley Adams. i'm gonna text him after i went to high school with him no you didn't. i did i don't know who he is no but not yet i don't but know I who he is yet it. you know these you know these folks thanks man it means a lot rogers that um, rogers that yeah well as we wrap up um what would be your, your parting words with everybody watching paying attention listening now and later um if you could leave them with one thing what what is it yeah i think that I, I will like i said earlier i try not to sound too much like a pastor but i think that i will in this moment too late I mean, it is it is what yeah. i am um really honestly for me I, I began to realize at some point in my life that your life is going to get built around something like there is going to be some kind of trellis work in your life like if, if you are that honeysuckle vine 
you are going to end up growing up on something and build your life around something. And most of us end up building our lives around things without even realizing it. We just build our lives around the things that society tells us to build our our lives around. We begin to think that life is all about um, getting married, having kids, driving a certain kind of car, moving in a certain kind of neighborhood. Your life is going to get built around something. And at some point, and I'm so grateful this was true for me, I didn't go into the details of it, but part of the reason that my life changed is I got fired from that job uh, at Pocahontas State Park for doing some really dumb stuff. Um, and I was in a pretty dark place. And what happened to the woodchuck? What happened to the wood? <laughs> there was no woodchuck. Oh. Um, so, um, and I end up spending, I, I just, I, I kind of decide that I'm going to get down on my knees for 30 days, at least once a day, just to kind of see what happens. And I begin to believe that there is a different way to live. And there is something better to build my life around than what I had, had ever seen before. And that was, that was 20 years ago this summer. It's like 20 years ago, like, like, like this week. It's like right, it's like right now. And I just began to believe um, that there was more out there. And that has been unbelievably fulfilling um, in my life, to experience forgiveness, to experience uh, purpose, acceptance, identity, uh, all of those things. So if I could say anything, I would, I would say that your life is going to be built around something. I don't think there's anything better for your life to be built around than the way of Jesus pretty pastory right no dude rogers that no powerful thank you that's awesome um you were perfect incredible guest incredible wisdom one of the things that matt has is a gift that i really appreciate is no matter how complex it is it's relatable and i think that that's a gift that not many people in the public eye leadership style leadership wise have and i think you uh, embody that so thanks for being a guest today and thanks for thanks for your friendship yeah, Rogers, I was actually about to say the exact same thing, that I appreciate your friendship. Thanks. You and weren't going to say that I say complicated things. So let's. I appreciate you keeping it consistent and not selling out. Can I, before, before we jump off of this, can I say something? Yeah. One of the things I really appreciate about you. You can Rogers? also say it when we're not yeah. filming. All right. Yeah. That, that one thing I really appreciate about you is the way that you speak those kinds of words of affirmation to ah, people. Thanks. And what you just said about making complex things simple, yeah. is that's the first uh, kind of like gift that somebody identified in me yeah. 20 years ago when I started walking in the, in this way. So to hear you say that now is a real word of affirmation yeah. uh, to me. I mean, and that's one of the things that I appreciate about you. And that I think that we should all do, we should all be more intentional about seeing those. Did things y'all see when he looked at the camera at that? That was, yeah. a, he felt that. seeing those things in folks. Right. And being intentional at pointing it out. Thanks. You know? so Life's thank too short. For, thank you for modeling that. Rogers that. Hey, I'm Matt Tuggle and that's how you sell without selling out. Rogers that.